Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? The Comics Podcast for the Savage Critics website. This is the second and final part of episode 79. And this time around, Graham McMillan and I review some comics for a change, uh, settling in to review the latest issues of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel and Faith, Frankenstein, Agent of Shade, and Batwoman, as well as the first issues of Saucer Country, Scout, Cross Badlands, Saga, Avengers Assemble, and of course, Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man. A little over an hour, it's the bite-sized podcast that fits right in your pocket. We welcome your opinions and preferences as to whether you like one longer episode or two shorter episodes, either in the comments thread at savagecritic.com or via email at waitwhatpodcast.gmail.com. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Hello, Jeff Lester. Hello, listeners. Hello, everyone. Everywhere. Graham, have you seen the Beatles animated classic Yellow Submarine? <laughs> many, many times. Uh, really? Seriously? Hey, yeah, hey, do you know what I was watching this weekend? Even what? better. Mm-hmm. Star Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, starring the Bee Gees. It's See, on Netflix. I knew as soon as you said even better, I'm like, he's talking about that fucking bullshit Peter Frampton Bee Gees thing. I knew Holy it. Holy shit! <laughs> I, I've heard about it, I didn't never ever seen it. I actually only made it as far as Frampton singing with a little help from my friends, which is only like 10 minutes into the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but already I'm like, this might be the greatest bad film ever made. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. I have to rewatch it. I've never made it all the way through. Every time that I've tried, like my body decides that it would rather try to pass a kidney stone. Um, it is terrible. It is really terrible. Uh, anyway, however, when you start with your super lovely, gentle... Hello, listeners. Exactly. It reminds me of... What the hell is the name of the head blue meanie in Yellow Submarine? Oh my god, you're saying I'm a blue meanie? Um, no, 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 let me clarify. I'm saying you sound just like the chief blue meanie. <laughs> I love you know it. the one that's like, Hello, Max. <laughs> Wow, I'm now looking up the film, and I will hopefully... Why um, don't you go and turn them all to stone? Uh, see, it's not Jeremy Hillary boob. No, 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 that's that's the monster. Um, No, 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 isn't that the Nowhere Man? Isn't that Jeremy? Yes. Ah, okay. Chief Blue Mini, he's called. Really? They don't really... Yeah, that's that's all he's called, Chief Blue Mini. Same same voice actor as Ringo and George. (gasps) Oh, my God. That guy's a genius. Um, Yeah, he's so... I remember him so well. Max. Come here, Max. Was it Max or Glove? There's Glove and then... It's Max. Max. Who's named Max, though? Is there someone named Max? There is a character called Max who's played by Dick Emery, so sure. I don't know. I've not seen it for a while. I saw it when I was a kid, um, and I was like, this music's great. This film is terrible. Uh, um, the animation is totally not for me. That's stuck with me through many, many years. Right. I actually find the animation weirdly ugly. Oh, it, it, it's interesting. I would love to see. I remember there was um, somehow between television showings and the fact that it was a favorite at the repertory movie house where I grew up, I have to say I probably saw it somewhere in the neighborhood of six or seven times um, and kind of kind of adored it. And I saw it in an age where it freaked the shit out of me. But, um, yeah, that's great stuff. Anyway... 
I in no mean way mean to cast dispersions, but I was hoping that as a Beatle fan, you would know that I was talking about. Um, did we talk about Davy Jones kicking it? Did you have like any sort of memorial? We, we didn't really talk about it. And it's, it's surprising because I'm a big monkeys fan, as you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, that said, Davy is like my least favorite monkey. <laughs> Davy's <laughs> one where I was like, yeah, he did nothing. Um, have you ever seen Head? Have you ever seen the. the I still have not seen Head, which is a huge oversight, I know. It is, because Head is the film that Magical Mystery Tour should have been. Right. Head is, to my mind, like up there with Beyond the Valley of the Dolls in terms of like 1960s just genius movies, pop culture movies. Um, the opening of Head has the monkeys playing Circle Sky, actually mm-hmm. playing it live. Um, and you've got Mike Nesmith with his guitar and singing, mm-hmm. and you've got Mickey on the drums, and you've got uh, Peter mm-hmm. Tork playing bass. The worst part is I almost said Peter Tosh, which would have been hilarious. <laughs> that, that was the other monkeys. Um, and you've got David Jones, who honestly spends the entire song playing maracas. Yeah, maracas or tambourine. It's, yeah, I, and it's I, amazing because like, they're, they're cutting between them and like you're like, those, you know, the monkeys are really fucking rocking out because Circle Sky is a great song. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then like, God's fuck. So David, David's just like, and like looking so happy to do it as well as the other yeah. thing. Oh, of course. Of course. Uh, That's what he's um, doing. I love the idea of the Monkeys reunion tours where Mike Nesmith wasn't participating, but you still had Davy Jones. And I, I never saw the shows, but I just imagine him there with the maracas going, you know, because it's like, I'm assuming he didn't turn around and learn how to play an instrument eventually. Although maybe, maybe I'm wrong. He probably did. But um, of course, Ed is also great because he gets to do uh, Daddy's Song by Harry Nielsen, which is a great, great performance. As much as I normally give David Jones shit, uh, he does a really good version of that song in that film. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, David Jones, he he will be missed, but to be completely brutally honest, not as much as the other monkeys will. Sure, and and not not especially by you. Uh, okay, well, um, who is your? Uh, uh, Who's my favorite monkey? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, like, uh, g- give me, give me the. Let's assume that the death list is going to go in order of people, you know, from the monkey you find least interesting, which was apparently Davy Jones, to most interesting. Recite for go, us the uh, P- Peter Tork will die next. Then, then probably Mickey, then Mike. I go back and forth between Mickey and Mike being my favorite monkey a lot. Really? Yeah. Really? Huh. Um, they seem like such diametric opposites. Mickey, I think, is just a great performer, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and like the the um, the thirty three and a third revolutions per monkey uh, version of I'm a believer that he does is fucking spectacular. Oh, it's yeah. just a really, really, really because it's um, Brian Auger and the Trinity are there like for some reason being the house band in that show, and so it's this weird Hammond organ sort of soul gospel version huh. out out of nowhere um, and it's just a great great version um, and you know he did when he does No Time or or, or things like that I, I just think he's great I, yeah. I, I really really love Mickey Dolan's uh, but Mike Nexmith was the, was he was the one with the real talent he he was he was the the one who got shit done and when you hear like there's lots like almost every band there's bootlegs of them in the studio mm-hmm He's the one. He's he's just awesome. <laughs> you hear him just you know fucking around between takes, and he's he's really really spectacular. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, Mike Nesmith, I'm I'm a big fan of. Interesting, interesting. Well, that's that's good to know. Hmm. <laughs> it really is. Remember you said we were going to talk about comics this podcast. I've just spent like seven minutes talking about it. Yeah, but you know what? Considering we were getting that thing of like we were spending 14 minutes talking about our corns uh, on the two-hour podcast, I'm hoping this splits the difference in a way people will find pleasing. A way to lead into the comics, if you will, by um, remembering uh, Davy Jones and the monkeys. So anyway, thank you. Thank you for a- answering those questions. I was quite curious. Do you, so, do you, have, do you have a favorite monkey? Are you I, monkey-centric at all? No, I'm not. I, I think I honestly I get the monkeys confused with the banana splits more often than I would. Oh, admit. oh, so yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I mean, I I enjoyed watching the show a lot as as a kid, uh, and I think for a while there, I think my I I had an appreciation for for Mickey in that I could do an imitation of him, um, which is long since gone. Oh, I that's that's true. Sorry, I, I was going to ask you. Yeah, yeah, no, I can't, I can't do it. Um. But uh, but but I I it's one of those interesting things where I was never uh, I was never intrigued by them enough to move past the shit that was thrown at us and I don't mean that I, I allow me to rephrase I think that the stuff when they weren't quote unquote playing their own instruments when they were a pop construction had tremendous amounts of unbelievable talent being put behind them in terms of the songwriters and the producers and everything. Um, and even then I didn't necessarily decide to delve deeper into hearing the stuff that they came up with on their own. Mm-hmm. So, so I would if have to say, you like, I what's it called power pop. If you like sort of that chunky sixties pop harmonies, mm-hmm. jangly guitars, right. Um, there's really an amount, an amazing amount of really good stuff in the later albums for people to find. Right. It, it, they're they're insanely underrated. Uh, I I this is this is what I've heard. This is what I've heard. And yet, for whatever reason, I just cannot get off my butt to to go check them out. So perhaps I shall at some point someday. And I have to warn you, just in case, I know, thank God, that you're busy, so you're not going to be, you know, making me a mix CD of your favorite monkey songs. Um, but Oh, don't tempt me, my friend. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm telling you right now, I'm not tempting you, because the chances of me listening to it will be slim. I have a sneaking suspicion that there's going to be, like, I'll be on my deathbed, if I can make it through Ulysses before I croak, then I'll probably watch Head and listen to a couple of the other albums. You know, if right? the, I... In all seriousness, I think you'd actually enjoy Head as a movie. Yeah, I think I would too. I think I think Head is one that I will probably watch. If it's on Netflix, watch instantly. I could see myself watching it in the next month or so. Yeah. If it's not, I'll. I don't quite. Yeah, exactly. You might never see it. Yeah. It's um. It's a. It's very much. It's. Have you ever seen If? Or Oh, oh Lucky Man? No, no, I haven't. Oh, Which good I, Lord. Th- all those my, are ones all I've of got my, on the list. Yeah, all of my touchstones from like 1960s, <laughs> 1970s cinema. I was going to say, if you have seen O Lucky Man, weirdly enough, I think Head is a really good companion to it. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I am inclined to believe you. Have you ever seen Lord Love a Duck? No. What? Ah! <laughs> as far as I can tell, Lord Love a Duck is an attempt to make a movie in the If Oh Lucky Man kind of, uh, what's the other movie that I always think of in that sort of... Oh my god, it's starring Roddy McDowell and Tuesday Wild. Yeah, it's a fucking awesome movie. Oh, that that almost alone has meant that I have to see it. 
it's you would be you, you I think you would really love Lord Love a Duck because it is such a a, a weird weird movie it's it's an American filmmaker trying to very much make stuff in that sort of uh, Lindy Anderson Richard Lester kind of vibe I think mm-hmm. um, and, and trying to do it about a dark so, uh, sort of a kind of peppy satire with dark undertones uh, about mm, celebrity and sociopathology uh, but it's 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 worth this. It's worth seeing. It's a. It's an amazing film to see when you're again your youth. When you see it when you're a kid, you're just like, oh my god, this is amazing that someone can make this. And then you know, I saw it a couple of years ago, and I'm like, it's. I do like my Roddy McDowell. I have to. Yeah, it, it weirdly makes me think of because uh, I, I was just reading on Wikipedia while you were talking. It reminds me of Terry Southern. I got really into Terry Southern. Oh wow! Uh, when I was God twenty-ish, I guess twenty twenty-one. Lord Graham. Um, really heavily into Terry Southern, um, and that was the same time I was really getting into Lindsay Anderson. And weirdly enough, Philip K. Dick. There was like a summer where that's pretty much all I read and watched. Wow, huh, yeah, I know, that's that, interesting. That was, the, that was actually this. Will, this is a callback to an old episode. That was the summer before the fall where I reread the Bible from start to finish. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, so much makes sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Interestingly enough, uh, having skipped Terry Southern because some of the stuff I found by him, I I thought was a little I don't know, smug, I guess. Or oh yeah, there's definitely parts like Candy is insanely smug. Yeah, but like the Magic that... Christian, I love the Magic Christian. See, I which I haven't haven't tackled. So, um, but yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if my whole like oh I read the Bible like I I really would think that the Venn diagram between people who read a lot of Philip K. Dick and then people who decide to read the Bible, like there's got to be like a crazy overlap there, like oh, within oh, six months. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what really, I mean? I, mean, I, mean, I was reading stuff like the transmogrification of Timothy Archer. Do you know right. what I mean? Which is like all of Christianity is a language virus to conceal. Yeah. yeah all that craziness. <laughs> Dude, you should totally do like Philip K. Dick Mad Libs. Like, we could make, like, so no, much money off of that. This was when uh, The Invisibles was going on as well. Well, of course. Right. right so, it's, right. I mean, that was, that was it. That was my whole thing. Yeah. I was... And who knows? Maybe that's part of the reason why my love of The Invisibles and what it's doing is tempered by the fact that I had read uh, Philip K. Dick stuff before the series started. You know what I mean? And so there's kind of a, meh. I mean... You're still excited when you see those influences being played out, you know? Like, I was hugely excited when The Matrix came out for that reason. But it's still not quite the same as when you get the trifecta of, like, you've never been exposed to it before, and holy shit, it's, like, bursting through your brain in 3D, you know? Or 4D, depending. (laughs) Um, One last thing before we will, honest to God, people move on to comics. Um... There is a scene in the end of the first volume of The Invisibles, which is, I think, third collection, where King Mob is getting tortured mm-hmm. that is line for line lifted from If. Sorry, from Oh Lucky Man. Oh, really? Yeah. Or maybe it is If. One of, one of those two films. It's actually like there's a scene where it's line for line. Wow. Taken out of it. Hmm. Interesting. 
you know, it's kind of a shame because there's all the, you know, every once in a while I get a, um, an email from, uh, SecArt about some book that they're putting together and calling for essays on. And I'm totally grateful for being on this mailing list. Um, for whom I have a variety of people to thank. Uh, and I have to say that, you know, they've already done like their Morrison book. Uh, I, I'm assuming it might've been Tim Callahan. Yeah, I think but, it was. And, uh, and Morrison is one of the few dudes that I think is who I find myself being like, yeah, that's, that's the guy where I feel like I would have something to say. Like when something comes around as much as I appreciate, you know, when it's something about like, Ellis, or I think there was there was actually one that they they might be doing on on Brian Michael Bendis. Um, is that right? I think that's right. If it's not Daredevil, and I was very much like, ooh, I got nothing. But when it comes to Morrison, I'm like, oh yeah, let me at him because I definitely think somebody who's you know really on top of it could craft. There's a lot of different interesting essays that could be crafted about Morrison. I think still. Yeah, the problem is I think Morrison is kind of overworked right now because we've had oh, the movie we've had the books I, yeah I, yeah I, I think i think people need to leave morrison alone for a while which is Agreed. a shame because i and i also think super gods really contributed to that slash sealed mm-hmm. it i think that, that was like let's everyone give grant morrison a chance just to write some comics and shut up for a bit yeah um, i think he's well served by that i really do but i would i would i would like to see i would like to see your book one day just mm. not anytime soon. No offense would, to you. Exactly. Just... Yeah. No. 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 For me, it would be an essay. I don't. I doubt it would actually be a full book. I don't think I really have. I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm trying to think the number of like writers, authors, whomevers that I think that I have an actual book for is really, really slight. But but Morrison's one at which I feel like someday I will have that a, a good strong essay. You know. As opposed to, like, if I had written an essay for that Ellis book, it would have been kind of pooped out, you know? Yeah. So, so hey. speaking of pooped out, let's talk about comics. Let's talk about Avengers Assemble issue one. Ooh. Did, did you read it? No. Oh, didn't you? No, <laughs> I let bought me see. it early so we could talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> I know, and I appreciate let me, you let taking me tell that. tell you. Mm-hmm. Avengers Assemble issue one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That is their idea of a gateway book following the movie. Either the movie is terrible, or mm-hmm. they are—they really missed the boat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's horrible. Interesting. And and I say that as someone who's been like, ah, Bendis hasn't really been hitting it on Avengers lately. This is really bad. Really? Yeah. It is. Well, it it's pretty much what someone would write as a Bendis parody. Mm-hmm. Knowing that he was doing an Avengers book, hmm. it's it's. Okay. There, I mean, there, there's just there was so much wrong with the Jeff. Um, <laughs> there's there are actually parts which are actually legitimately. I thought, because I bought it digitally, I mm-hmm. thought they'd accidentally somehow skipped a page. Wow, really? That's interesting. I wish I had. Well, I didn't really want to give them the money, but anyway. So okay. How how long is it approximately? Is it a twenty pager? Is it twenty plus? Twenty one pages. Hang on. Okay. Can you tell me the plot or the what happens uh, in those twenty twenty one pages? Twenty one pages. Uh, the plot is this: the book opens with uh, the form 
Transformation of a New Zodiac, which, because it's a Brian Michael Bendis book, features a character talking to the reader for a page and then a double-page spread with all of the members. Mm-hmm. Um, then Tony Stark opens the new Avengers Tower. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hulk attacks an army... Well, he doesn't attack an army. Uh, I've completely forgotten the word. Convoy is the word I'm looking for. An army, ah. con- uh, an army convoy is attacked and he jumps in. This is this is actually the part of the story where I was like, they're missing a page because he is the army convoy is attacked by someone who I'm guessing is Aquarius. He doesn't get a name, but this guy made out of water who essentially drowns the Hulk. But the Hulk goes from being drowned to the next panel. The water guy is entirely gone, and hmm. one says, "Where's that water guy?" Like the Hulk is being drowned, and the next panel, Hulk is standing like the back somewhere, looking at everyone else, while the the army are like, "It's gone. The package is gone." And then they blame the Hulk. Wow. It's just weird. And like a page later, someone goes, "What was that guy? How did he do that with the water?" But Mm -hmm. you know, that's terrible, terrible, terrible storytelling. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, after that, uh, the Black Widow and Hawkeye go on a mission, and they uncover the new Taurus, mm-hmm. is then who then tries to attack them, but they is instead fights Thor and Iron Man, who show up, hmm. and that's it. Wow. It seems it seem does seem a little slight, but, but I mean, but there are there is dialogue like mm-hmm. Hawkeye says, "Hey, Widow, I know we haven't dated in forever." But will you do me a favor? That's right. That's the level of exposition. Wow, that's clumsy as hell. Oh, it's. It, I mean, it's. I. I mean, if you're going to be that clumsy, then then write it all like that and make sure that lots of shit happens in your comic book. I guess you know what I mean. Yeah. Like in the next panel, then they're fighting somebody. You know, kind of. Holy crap! Wow. Yeah, it's it's just, and you know, everyone sounds slightly off. Mm-hmm. Which I, you know, mm-hmm. at this point, they're not sounding slightly off because this is the way they've been written for ten years. But yeah. they still, you know, they don't sound like the way you expect them to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you get Captain America saying, "We are a planet of the free, a people of freedom," which I kind of love. Oh uh, my god! Wow, <laughs> really that's clumsy. Uh, and then he says, "Why don't any of you stop me when I get like that in front of the press?" And Thor goes, <laughs> "It is your calling, Rogers, a leader of men." It's just it's it's just a really kind of shitty comic. It's it's mm. really, really not that good. And um Mark Bagley. He he's definitely providing some Mark Bagley esque pages. <laughs> this this is a comic for everyone who thought you know the problem with Justice League of America when Mark Bagley was drawing it? People didn't look sixteen enough. <laughs> It is the world's youngest Black Widow and the world's oh, youngest and, yeah. as we said, stupidest looking Hawkeye. The new costume design for Hawkeye, which gets a credit on the credits page, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it says Hawkeye's costume designed by Brian Hitch. It doesn't say anything like Hawkeye created by. No, Hawkeye's costume, oh, however, no. designed by Brian Hitch. Sure. Stanley, Jack Kirby, do they get a mention? No. But Brian Hitch gets a mention. 
I'm or so Don glad. Heck for that mention. I, yeah, I believe uh, Brian, that somebody Brian, would point out that Don Heck probably drew Hawkeye first. Oh yeah, sorry, I was just talking about the Avengers in general. No, 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 no. I know. I just totally wanted to jump in there because uh, someone I think might have corrected us on that previously. Uh, yeah, Brian Hitch's. Also, here's the other thing. Brian Hitch's name, Hawkeye's question, mm-hmm. Brian Hitch, is actually in larger type than um, <laughs> the assistant editor or any of the uh, higher ups. <laughs> It, it it's like it's a weird, bad comic. It's it would it would be so awesome if they did it where it was that classic Marvel comics thing where like Hawkeye's there and you know next to the Black Widow and underneath it's got a caption. It's like Hawkeye's costume designed by Brian Hitch, Dearborn, Illinois. You know, and I, <laughs> that would be the best. Oh, it's not Age for Hero, my friend. That's not even Marvel. That's that's well, that's what I'm saying. They did that in Millie for Millie the Model. Oh, so they did. You're totally right. You're totally yeah, right. So. Um, yeah, it's 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 just terrible. It, it it's a it's a it's just a bad comic. Yeah. It reads yeah. like, uh, you know, one of those Burger King tie-ins. <laughs> right. Which well, and it, the, uh, it's not what it should. Do you know what I mean? Like Bendis has been doing this for a number of years. Bendis can do better. Yes. Well, and someone. Uh, namely Brian Hibbs, who I saw at the store yesterday and says hello. Um, uh, he pointed out that we have not had a dumb Hulk in a very, very, very long time in the Marvel Universe. Oh, he's uh, dumb here. Yeah, and he's dumb there, which it, he's kind of like... Is he dumb in the Incredible Hulk book, though? Uh, not the Jason Aaron thing, although Hibbs said, yeah, I think maybe what's going to happen is Hulk is going to be getting redumbed in the next... Arc. Yeah, well, so I, that that, that would that would seem to make sense because otherwise, yeah. you know, and this is insane. <laughs> but this is just like I want to do a dumb hole. Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's it's um it's not a good comic. Yeah, it's it's a real shame because, I mean, it was one of the to my mind four big launches yesterday, and the other three are good, and this is and some of them are excellent, and mm-hmm. Avengers is just so bad. Yeah, I uh, I'm sorry to hear that. I cannot entirely say that I am surprised. I honestly wanted it to be better, and I suspected Bendis would at least be bringing something more interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I I don't know. You know, let me mention because I felt like I didn't read a lot of comics this week. I made it a point to try and catch up on some of my um, digital backlog uh, to so that I might be able to talk about things and um, or you know kill time such as it were I read the first two issues of uh, Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man from 1990 I want to say 92 but it might have been 91 or 1990 and oh man I thought teaches Yes, exactly. And you know, I read it and I was like, God, I remember when I made fun of that fucking line and I like came across Isn't that page and like I'm like, his web advantageous, his web line advantageous. Yeah. And you know, and, and that was the thing. And I saw it. I'm like, you know, maybe I was, maybe I was being a little too hard on the old Todster. Uh, and then, okay, let's see if I can actually break it, break, get to this in a, in a timely fashion, which would be completely entirely unlike me. Um, so the thing that's hilarious is uh, get to my page, page two. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's like his powers extraordinary, his webline advantageous, and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna try and give him this guy the benefit of the doubt. Blah blah blah. The thing that I forgot was four pages later when he catches a crook in a completely stupid sequence um, that I should probably tell you. Like, essentially, what happens is. Uh, the the crook is you know is mugging somebody. Spider Man's there. The crook fires his gun, which is a revolver, and fires like um, fires like six times or something. The next page, Spider Man jumps in front of him, and the 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 punk, as he's described in the panels, like pulls the trigger, and the gun's empty. And the the captions say, "Unfortunately for the punk, he forgot to count to three. And I'm like three it's a three chambered revolver anyway so the guy runs spider-man webs him up and it's great the captions are uh, the punk begins to run he must have also forgotten that besides speed and strength spider-man has his web line and then there's a panel right below which is which again can be advantageous and i just that was the part where i lost (laughs) that's that's got to be intentionally funny though right yeah, it was great. I, which again can be advantageous. I'm like, I'm like, if only he'd run with that, and later on had been like, which, let's face it, is still advantageous, uh, or not so advantageous. Like it's such a terrible. The fact that you write such a clunker line, and then you write something that is a call out and even more clunky at the same time, is kind of a masterpiece. Um, and the thing that the other thing I found amazing about Spider-Man number one is is that. McFarlane as a storyteller, even though he's kind of being a little bit lazy, like there's a whole bunch of stuff about up and down in this first issue where he talks about the the buildings rising up. And even while he's talking about it, the, the camera is pulling down and into the crowds and stuff like that. And you've got all this stuff with the lizard coming out of the sewers and et cetera, et cetera. There's like this really nice, like I'm like, okay, I'm trying to give Todd McFarlane the benefit of the doubt. He does have a comic book that is playing with um, the narration talking about things rising and falling while his panels, which are usually sliced into these, um, you know, uh, vertical slices are themselves have action that is rising and falling. I'm like, okay, he's, he's not so bad. Right. And then I got, by the time, dude, by, I had never read issue two of this whole storyline ever. And it was even worse than the first issue. It was so bad. Like, you know, Spider-Man fights the lizard. Actually, it's amazing how much this comic book is like um, what we call decompressed storytelling. Like, Spider-Man fights a mugger, spends a lot of time zipping and pooping upside down and stuff, but by the end of the first issue, he and the lizard, which all the things have been set up for them to fight, they have not even met yet. And then they meet in issue two, which Mm -hmm. has enough filler to actually seem like the very first... Wait, did we actually talk for an no, that can't be right. Hold on a second. No, your your alarm is going insane. It's we've been talking. About uh, you know what it is? Minutes. I sent it for half an hour. Yeah, sorry. We we've got half an hour to go. Anyway, uh, I'm I'm impressed that uh, that McFarlane A was actually worse than I re- as bad as you remember, which is a thing that as you get older seems like an achievement. Um, and and yet weirdly, in some strange way, may have introduced modern decompressed storytelling as we know it in a way that we wouldn't necessarily give him credit for. Well, that's great. Good job, Todd. 
I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. For, yeah, I'm glad for you for that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so yeah, who can blame Brian Bendis for sucking? What do you want to talk about next, provided that it's not one of the other number ones? <laughs> right, that it's not one of the other number ones? I'm um, kidding. Let's talk about the other I know, because I was going to say, I also caught up with Buffy and Angel and Faith, which I, I oh. was a couple of months behind on. And you'll remember I was complaining very, very, very greatly about the Buffy pregnancy slash abortion storyline. Yes. Having read it, mm-hmm. that actual issue, I think, was as bad as I was expecting. The cliffhanger in the following issue was yes. spectacular. Was so fucking great and so insanely unexpected that it has not only turned me around on that plot, mm-hmm. it has made me realize that I'm actually genuinely loving the new series of Buffy. Holy shit. That's a reversal and a half, yeah. I would have to say. Yeah, well, uh, the, the, well, what happened was I read that, that cliffhanger and was like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? I went back to read uh, the seven issues today, and I realized that mm-hmm. it's so much better than season eight. Mm. It's so much better, so much tighter, and also, more importantly, so much more like the TV show. Mm. Um, that it, it's really good. Uh, I, I, I guess I'd not really realized how much I was enjoying it until I read the Mall in a Wonder, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting because I also read all of the Justice League relaunch all of the Legion mm-hmm. relaunch and all of Legion's Secret Origin uh, uh, issues today in Warner wow. the weekend and I realized that all of those books get better reading them en masse mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. much like Flash did do you remember I said the same thing about Flash yes um, so yeah I, I'm realizing that maybe I, I'm just not enjoying single issues that much anymore because when I read them in, in, in a bunch right. I, I my my entertainment is really significantly increased um, but for anyone who, like me, has been feeling lukewarm about Buffy, mm-hmm. you have to pick up the new issue just for the last, like, three pages. <laughs> Which you're uh, crazy. I kind, I, of want, I kind of want to spoil it for you, but I also don't. Right. Here's the thing. I am going to ask that you spoil it for me when we're off air. Because I want to know, and I don't really want to spoil it okay. for the listeners, but I don't mind having it spoiled for myself. Uh, I think that's what it will take. The other thing is Angel and Faith, which had already been the better book for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still think it's the better book. I think mm-hmm. Angel and Faith is actually a really, really good adventure comic featuring those characters. And I think that, uh, is it Rebecca Isaacs that draws it? Yeah, I think Rebecca Isaacs' art is just amazingly good. I, th- I think she manages to do likeness and storytelling, which so many people don't. They can do one or the other. One or the other, exactly. It's very hard to find someone who can do both. And in fact, is George Gianti still drawing Buffy? Buffy yeah, and it's yeah. that's still a problem. And that is a, that is a problem for me. I have to admit. Yeah, he he's not. Uh, he he can't really do either. I guess is the problem for me. Yeah, for me, I'm kind of like he is sure got to be like a nice guy who can make his deadlines. You know, every whenever I read one of his comics. I'm just like, ugh, no. It Actually, you know what it is? I'm looking at it now. He can do really good likenesses of the men. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the exception of Andrew, who he really can't do good likeness of whatsoever. But um, mm. his female characters are insanely generic, which is a real problem for Buffy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. But um, um, it, 
Joan of Eight, I think, is a really, really, really good book. Uh, have you, did you read any of it? Did you watch no. the TV show? No, actually. That's one that uh, where I've had uh, multiple friends offer to loan me the box sets, and I, I keep putting off for whatever reason. Um, the, the current plot in Angel and Faith is the return of Drusilla, who you may mm. not remember from Buffy. Yes. Uh, except she's sane. And, hmm. and now that she's sane, she is... She is saying that she's trying to help people and cure Angel of his guilt, but she's quite clearly just looking to fuck him up in the most vicious way possible. <laughs> um, but through a really interesting way, she is now saying because she has met a monster that feeds on misery ah. and essentially stole the reasons that made her insane in the first place from her memory. Mm-hmm. And the way that she mm-hmm. says she's going to cure Angel is doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. But Angel is of the opinion that he needs those bad memories to stay a good guy, right? Right. Which is which is uh, both a decent idea and an idea that ties really well into the conception of Angel. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a really enjoyable comic, and Rebecca Isaac's art is just great. I really really like it. Um, so yeah, both books. I, one of the reasons I, I, I'm catching up with them is, uh, well, I hadn't read the story for a long time until last week, like I told you, but also I just wasn't reading them because I was like, eh, I'm not really feeling these books. Right. And so I was just, I was leaving them for a later date, but now that I've caught up, I was like, yeah, th- these are really, really good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, that's fantastic. What a great feeling. So you are back on on the bus, as it were. I'm back you're on the Buffy bus. Back on, back on the Buff bus. Well, that's fantastic. Um, hmm, should we talk about my? Let me talk about Frankenstein, Agent of Shade, number seven, and Batwoman, number seven, for a second. Please do, because I read neither. Um, mm-hmm. and I have to say, I think Batwoman is is permanently off my list now. Right, right. Well, because you didn't, you. I thought you were jumping off at the last issue. Were you thinking but, of trying uh, it out because of Amy Reader or? Uh, I was well. Part of it is it's still on my pool list. I forgot to take off the pool list, so I've still got two uh, in the store. But part of it's also I was like, you know, I might just jump back on when JH Williams comes back on for the art. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. there's I don't know. There's something about the whole Amy Reader is off, and she seems genuinely unhappy about it. That leaves a really bad taste in my mouth. Right. Right. Yeah, uh, I can understand that. Um, well, here's the thing. Uh, so uh, let me see. I. I the thing is, I think you uh, actually destroyed my joke, was like, okay, let me talk about them. They sucked. And then move on from there. Uh, so it's going to be do a little they, harder. Do they to suck? Do uh, I think they both do. For me, I was incredibly... Frankenstein, Agent of uh, Shade? I'm not sure. I thought I... I literally thought I stopped buying it, but it might have been one of those deals where I reversed my position on it, much like I quit OMAC. I think, honestly, what happened was I said to stop both of them after the issue six crossover. And then when uh, Matt at the store mentioned that, that there was only two issues left of OMAC, I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. Scratch that. But I meant for OMAC and I still somehow got Frankenstein. Anyway, I picked up Frankenstein and it's an issue where, um, 
<sighs> things go crazy haywire inside the the special shade complex and the artificial humanoids that run everything and keep things going take over and it's up to the creature commandos and Ray Palmer and everyone to sort of fight their way out and uh, it sucked. So I'm not a big fan of the art and I think that Jeff Lemire seems to be continually lowering the bar. Like I honestly like the way that he writes Frankenstein less and less and less. Um, Every once in a while he will break out the faux Miltonian isms that Morrison was going for, but they sound wrong. They just sound uh, prolix, I guess. Uh, And he falls back on the old... uh, Like, I'm really shocked that he has not made the fire bad joke. Um, Maybe he did in other issues and I blocked it. I was shocked that it was not in here. Because he has has, uh, the, the Frankenstein going like a couple of times and I'm like yeah that doesn't work for me so I just don't like it everything about it annoys me and unfortunately I said I was going to buy the issue so then I was going to buy it interestingly enough I saw some people online um, like I think Scott Suderlin who was like ugh I hate this art because it's being inked by somebody else I actually like this art more than I did in the previous issues. It looked less sketchy to me. Like, Mm -hmm. whoever the DC editor was who was either listening to me or agreed with me, thank you for trying, but but now I'm so not happy with the story, and frankly, the... the, Although inked better, I still am not enjoying the actual uh, way that the book's laid out. That I'm I'm jumping off this sucker pretty quickly, I think. Um... Uh, so there's that. And then there's Batwoman, which was not entirely dissimilar, I have to say. Amy Reader's art, I think, is great. The parts where it's a shame that she had... I'm going to go out on a limb and feel that she, say that she felt pressured to try and have very J.H. Williams-ish um, action sequences and panels. Because Lord knows the first three or four pages have a really kind of fun, zippy, um, playful panel layout that, that, that has that dynamicism that, mm-hmm. that is reminiscent of Williams. And I'd be kind of bummed if she thought that... Uh, she had if to. She was, yeah, that she was feeling super pressured of doing it to do it. Similarly, there's a very nice page, double-page layout where Batwoman is confronting uh, the the uber-villain or big bad and is also seeing some of his various um, cronies or villains that she's been battling, including a uh, a transformed Killer Croc. Um, But mainly, I just realized I don't like the writing. I do not like the the actual storytelling about this. It it really feels... J.H. Williams III maybe uh, is a fantastic dynamic storyteller, but this issue, this issue of Batwoman, was far closer to Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man number one than I think anyone really cares to admit. And it comes out once you sort of remove the patina of the "Oh my God, that's jaw-dropping art." You yeah. J.H. Yeah. Um, Williams, the Todd McFarlane of 2012, is what I'm saying. Uh, so I am dropping the I'm dropping the book. Uh, I, I think I, I think I just have to drop it because I don't think that I'm going to be able to wait until Williams comes back again. And even if he does, 
like I'm going to be like for this like this story real this issue was was told to me badly enough that I had that feeling that I hadn't read the last issue and maybe I haven't but I'm pretty sure that I have and uh I just didn't like it the end <laughs> I could tell you why I mean I I guess but but really why bore everyone <laughs> let's just say that uh despite the, I I'm not I'm not crazy about supernatural batman adventures I think the the fact that they created a villain out of the Bloody Mary, the woman whose name you speak three times in the mirror and she appears and she starts jumping up and killing people is kind of dumb, basically. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a little bit like uh, I don't know what what is it? It's it's kind of it's it's kind of like if uh, Batwoman was being attacked by giant garbage pail kids stickers coming to life. It's just it it is. It is remarkable in how non-resonant it is in continuing the the thematic Batwoman versus you know spooky supernatural folklore people powers. That you're, and you're, yeah, I was going to say you're not selling me in that book at all. Did you read Saucer Country? I did. What did, did you think? I picked it up. Yes, I was going to say I should remember. I really liked it last week, um, and then I read Tim Galhan slating it this week in CBR, and I was like, "Am I wrong?" <laughs> I well there's a couple of problems that I have. One thing is um I I think that for me uh part of it is I might have had my uh well no let me just cut yeah you're wrong basically. Okay. Uh, I I no I don't I I think that it was it was just kind of a big mess. I was very bummed that Ryan Kelly who did the art for uh, the Brian Wood series? Local. Local, yeah, and also is doing a well. It's way too soon to tell, but I have such high hopes for uh, Kakote. Yep. The uh, the the foodie comic that he's drawing. I'm so excited about that. I mean, in the first few pages, have a lot of really wonderful detail, and here he's very much. I get the sense whether consciously or not i feel like he is trying to draw in a pia guerra why the last man style simplicity for it 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 may also be that the person who's doing the colors for it is really trying to bring a why the last man feel to the colors mm-hmm. but i felt that his his art tended to be kind of stiff and unexpressive at various points. Like, there's a scene where um, uh, what's-her-name Governor... Governor what's-her-name's ex-husband is, like, in a bar, like, talking to a woman with a drink and sort of talking about his whole little um, uh, complaints, I guess. Abduction. Yeah, exactly. He's sort of talking about yeah, he's sort of talking about basically how he used to be a big man and now he's not. And the thing that that Cornell does, the thing that I like about this book is that Cornell has um figured out the way in which the language of alien abduction perfectly is interchangeable with the language of politics and celebrity. And mm-hmm. that's the part that I think is fantastic. When he's talking about aliens and little people uh, and then those words are being put in the mouth of governors and ex 
stars, Hollywood washed up Hollywood stars. It's it's really a great idea, um, and I think that Cornell could be going some awesome places with it. But I found that Kelly's acting tends to rely too much on people being drawn with like really tiny eyes so that you see the whites around them when Mm -hmm. they're acting kind of shocked or surprised Mm -hmm. um, as being kind of stiff. And also it was a book, like if ever there was a book that had what I'm thinking, I'm assuming it's 20 pages of story and really needed to be 24 or 30 pages of story. It's this one because Honestly, by the time you get to the end with the the last page page turn, mm-hmm. nothing feels properly set up for it. I really feel like I had missed the zero issue of this that explained enough of what the hell was going on that we're supposed to get it. Like I could infer what was happening, but it was such a huge difference from feeling there's that weird like oh i get it and there's a weird thing of like well i think this is what they're doing because there's nothing else going on you know i'm really curious did you read the secret history of db cooper i didn't oh because i was gonna say if you feel that about saucer country i would love to know what you think about the secret history of db cooper because secret history of db cooper which i loved by the way i actually enjoyed it much more than i expected to um Mm -hmm. you have no fucking idea what's happening in that book interesting I mean, you can infer lots, mm-hmm. but nothing is concrete. I mean, mm-hmm. very intentionally. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's 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 all over the fucking shop. Mm-hmm. In in a really good way. Um, very quickly, Sauce Country. I totally see what you're saying. Um, what won me over is. I have enough faith in Cornell, which I think I said last week. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, there's enough small things that I was really like, I really like that. I right. love that the alien pretty much says, all your base are belong to us. Mm-hmm. I love that. <laughs> Did uh, he say that? He says, you are us, you belong to us. And honestly, I couldn't read that without reading all your base are belong to us. <laughs> um, I love the fact that you could theoretically, like there is still a reading that the government or is insane. Sure. Um, which which I really like. I love the genius who is seeing the pioneer, the pioneer ten couple. Yeah. yeah. Wait, I I love that. I love the way they talk as well. I love that they're so crazily upbeat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're just like, hi. I right. know you could see us. Um, right. Exactly. There, yeah. yeah there, there's there's definitely problems. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he's actually a bit too heavy-handed in the politics. I, and it, mm-hmm. it strikes me more as someone who, and this sounds terrible because this is a very snobby and b completely me ten years ago. But somebody who has watched the West Wing and reads the Guardian and thinks they understand American politics, right? right as opposed right, right. to somebody who actually has spent a lot, a lot of time paying attention to American politics. Um, and I'm I'm with you on the problems with Kelly. The other thing about Kelly is. I initially did not realize that the husband in the bar is the same character who was in the car at the start of the book. I, I, yeah. there, there's, there's not enough uh, differentiation mm-hmm. between other mm-hmm. characters for you to think, oh, that's the same guy, um, yeah. which, I, which is, is a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. no, I, I, 
I really genuinely was like, I think that's a really interesting exciting first issue, and I want to know where the book goes next, which is what I really want from a first issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't – how do I put this? Um, there's a difference for me between – and this is my problem, is I know because the whole concept turns around this idea of what really happened, you know? Like what's really happening is the point is the thrust of the whole book. Unfortunately, when you do that, somehow it becomes especially important that that what that the that what's going on the question in the reader's head isn't what's going what's going on if you know what I mean. Like yeah. all, like I literally don't understand what's happening. They're, so they're they're. Like I said, I feel I actually feel, and this has happened to me a little bit with Cornell before, where the it's the little touches and the thematic overview are awesome, and it's everything else in between the two that's getting bungled. Oh yeah, there's there's definitely he's definitely done that in the past. Put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So it's like yeah, so much potential for this to go off the rails really quickly. I, I right. totally see me with an issue being like, this isn't what I thought it was at all. So, <laughs> but, but as a first issue, I really liked it. I, yeah. I say that because, partially because like, I like Night Squire issue one. And mm-hmm. I ended up thinking that series was terrible. I thought Stormwatch's first couple of issues were okay. And that went terribly south. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so you're, Cart- you're hoping that a troubled first issue means that things will actually get better as it goes on? I, uh, I'm i saying, yeah. Uh, but, uh, what I'm also saying is there's enough that I like as opposed to stuff that I'm not convinced by mm-hmm. that I'm on board mm-hmm. for now. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting. If this had been a $1 issue, because honestly, I've bought, I think, the majority of, of Vertigo's $1 issues because they're a buck. And I'm like, hey, that's a great incentive. I'll try it. It's interesting to me that they didn't do it this time. And I was like, well, but, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure I would have picked it up if you hadn't said good things about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do not in any way mean I – don't, I don't mean that you should not feel bad about that. I'm really glad that I read it. I just also unfortunately really have this weird – what's the feeling I like Cornell and I like Kelly they both need guys that are stronger than them individually like I think they're going to trip each other up rather than pull each other out of it together and and I hope that I'm wrong on that mm-hmm. your your comparison to Pia Guerra by the way in Wild Last Man is completely spot on and looking at mm-hmm. it again I, that hadn't registered with me at all mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah. So, and it's it's kind of a shame because I mean, admittedly, I I'm sure that Kelly's trying to work himself out of some of his older influences, but of course, the stuff that he was doing in local, I thought, was absolutely perfectly lovely on its own. So, uh, and I can see like the stuff in Cocot is actually looks in some ways closer to this stuff here. So it may be that he's shooting for a look closer to this, at least as far as his, the way his characters actually look and act. But I'm, yeah, I'm, I remain unconvinced. Um, now I'm going to guess that you, among your various issue ones did not pick up, uh, crossed, uh, by Garth Ennis and Jason. You're, you're correct. Yes. Did you Um, have you read crossed in the past? Yes, actually. Uh, this is the thing that's kind of interesting to me is that uh, I picked up Crossed by Ennis and Burroughs 
the original miniseries and was one of the few people, I felt like I was one of the few people that liked it from the get-go and really liked it by the end. Like there was a few things that, that kept it from being uh, an excellent piece of work by the end, but that I, but I mainly having to do with, I think, Bros's art, but I quite liked it. And then essentially because Avatar was like, hey, hey, look, everybody crossed, crossed, more crossed. And, you know, because I read Bleeding Cool a lot, I really felt like Rich Johnston was kind of overdoing the company oh, he, line, yes, which is he was, like, he was crazy shilling that book. It was, and it was Have you bad. heard of Crossed? Oh my god, it's the greatest thing ever. Have you heard it's coming out? Oh my god, Jesus Christ. Ah, ah, ah. Yeah, exa- exactly. He's like, it's so disturbing. This is the most disturbing. I know you thought the other thing was disturbing, but it's so disturbing. How will you I've ever think the... right after you've been disturbed so much? Have you seen it? Oh my god, here's a picture. Oh my god. <laughs> exactly. If ever there's well a done. resource to be made of like 30 seconds of our podcast, I think that the last 30 the seconds of ours. For sure. That would be brilliant. That would be, and we'll just call it Rich J. Dot Dave. <laughs> uh, yeah, unbelievable. Anyway, so I was like, why? So I saw it on the stands, and I was literally like, fuck that, all those crossed, ripped off bullshit, spin off things. I, the first one really worked for me. And then I was kind of like, well, wait, it's by the exact same team, so why don't I pick it up? You know? And I, I'm, I'm sure the next time is going to be, and then I found out why. And then I found out why. No, uh, I thought it was... How can I say it? I think, interestingly enough, Jason Burroughs has fucked shit up in ways, completely different ways, that um, fuck, than, that are worse than the ways that he fucked things up before. There is an action sequence in which a couple who is fleeing the city as it goes crazy makes it to the highway, the roadway interchange where essentially people are flipping the fuck out in cars. Um, And how do I put this? I could not tell whether or not the cars were supposed to be moving. There was absolutely no sense of it whatsoever. And so consequently... Clearly, the thing that's hard is clearly some of these cars are stalled out and lunatics are just doing obscene, disturbing things in them while they're not moving. And yet there are also cars that are also supposed to be moving, I guess, and and fucking things up. And it makes no sense. Like, it really is. I'm fascinated to think that, that Ennis who I don't necessarily think of him as like a writer. You know, you you hear that whole truism of writers being like, oh, I always tailor my scenes for my artists, you know, kind of thing. I cannot think of a scene that would have been worse to tailor uh, uh, for Jason Burroughs than a scene where vehicular things are, some things are supposed to be moving and some things aren't. Because he is very hard for him to convey a sense of, of, of movement overall, I think. If you, if you get what I'm saying. So that sequence fails spectacularly. And then there is a violent sequence that is violent that you would not have liked. Um, and yet, interesting, I got to say that I thought that it was, it was an, going by Savage Cricket ratings, at the very least, an okay book. And I would actually say that, that it is good. Because... For me, and this would not necessarily apply to you, um, but when Garth Ennis is in his 
I just read Cormac McCarthy slash more specifically Cormac McCarthy's The Road mode as opposed to I just sat down and watched Death Race slash more specifically the Jason Stratham remake of Death Race mode. Um, he's much better. Uh, there, There is something that's kind of sad and uh, eulogiac about Ennis's writing, the narration in his writing that that I that really appeals to me. It it ended up being the part that sold me on the conclusion of Crossed, even when the art didn't work, and it actually sells me on this issue of Crossed. Um, I like it in the way that I don't really particularly care to read about Jennifer Blood or Garth Ennis's Ninjets or any of the other things that Avatar and or Dynamite are convinced that we want to read when we read Garth Ennis. This is much closer to the, the Garth Ennis stuff that I like reading about, which, even while it's disturbing, is um, inherently mournful, I suppose. Interesting. You almost make me want to read it, but I know that I would like it. <laughs> oh, you would You would really hate it. Yeah, it would not be worth I, it for I, you, Graham. I, I genuinely think I'd have all minor problems with it, so yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. Exactly. Hey, here's my question, seeing as we have like 12 seconds before an hour's up and we were trying to keep it two hours. <laughs> Saga, did you read? Yes. yes, and let's run a little longer so that we can talk about it on top of, uh, instead of the other books that we did not. I did, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was tremendous. Yeah, I, mean, I, it, I loved it. I, I yeah. really genuinely just thought it's wonderful. And someone on Twitter made a really good point today, which was, is part of the reason why I thought it was wonderful because it was so long. And I think it is. Yes. I think it needs yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever 44 pages, whatever it is, yeah. to make I think that sort of impact. 40 pages. Yeah. A 40 page one issue thing by doing it 299, where they're almost certainly taking an enormous loss leader, was a brilliant move. Because I don't it's think. It's also I think, <laughs> a fully returnable book. Right. Which, again, is the thing. It allows people, it allows the retailers to not take chances, it allows the, the reader to not take any chances I'm not saying that the that it would not have worked at a smaller page count I just know that at the page count that it's at it's it's a phenomenal read yeah it really, really does just seem really good yeah it it actually gives you enough stuff to hook you because there was a part where I was like oh I'm not so into that and then they would do something else and I'm like Oh, okay. That actually, you know, the thing that's really interesting is is the very first scene in the book. Um, after about like five pages, or I I was kind of like, wow, Vaughn isn't cutting away. Like I kind of had this weird like I haven't read Vaughn in a long time, so I don't even know if this is correct. But I realized the rhythm that I'm used to thinking of his stuff in is kind of in four page sequences. So when it went kind of long, I'm like, oh man, he's been away from comics too long. Like he's overwriting this scene. He's stretching it out past the point that it should. Mm-hmm. And, and this book is going to end up being un- truncated and unbalanced. Um, and yet not only do I th- see why he wrote the scene as long as he did. And of course it, it works out perfectly because of, everything that comes after it but but with the longer first issue 
it gives you it gives you enough time that each of your main story threads gets a full introduction like it really has some life into it before everything starts moving forward again yeah it's really nice you you get the space to sort of luxuriate in the world mm-hmm. in a way that you just wouldn't have done if it was 22 pages you you actually yeah. get a grounding so that when you get to the 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 cliffhanger or not cliffhanger is the case maybe i mean almost cliffhanger it, the, the structure is so weird that it almost spoils itself if that makes sense yes um but when you get to the end you you feel more connected with the characters and also more connected with when when the the character says you know like, the war has reached here that mm-hmm. makes sense more yeah. yeah because you've seen behind that you've seen what everyone else is thinking and why why this is so important and it's it's just it's really really well done yeah it's really well done and it's It'll be interesting. I hope that it, when it switches to the smaller size, um, I'm assuming that it, not every issue is going to be this many pages for this. Um, yeah, no, I, I think every every issue after this is going to be 22. Yeah, I hope that it manages to keep its balance because it's a weird f- fucking world. You know what I mean? Like I'm almost like. Like, this isn't going... Like, any world where you've got, like, science fiction and you've got magic and you've got huge amounts of backstory, I'm like, normally it's such a... um, It is so easy to either disappear up your own ass or it makes it impossible to keep track of for the reader of what actually is working and how. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I thought it was... I thought it ended up working fantastically. It also helped that I think that uh, by having Fiona St- Staples do every, just about every aspect of, you know, do the art and the colors and do the, especially that hand lettering. Um, it is that her? Is she the one doing the hand lettering? Yeah, you know, he says it on the inside, on the back cover. He says, uh, he says, single-handedly designs, draws, and colors every single character, ship, and world in the series. She and she even, even had letters. letters. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that makes, that just, that made a huge difference. It's one of those weird things where without that hand lettered narration, like that's the part that managed to sell me on it. You yeah. The, I mean? the part where the, the, the pull out and you see the planet and you see more importantly, the lettering going around the planet. Yes. That was just yeah. beautiful. That really is one yeah. of those, I don't know. It's different enough mm-hmm. and smartly different. Yeah. That you're kind of like, yeah, yeah I, I, I want to keep up with this. I, well, I, I want to pay attention to this. You know, the other thing, I don't know if this is, is what came to mind for you, but what it really reminded me of, despite the various like Star Wars meets whatever, what's the, what's the way that he was I think he's calling it? it Star Wars meets Game, Game of Thrones. Right, Star Wars meets Game of Thrones is that it's really the secret influence on this is Moonshadow, don't you think? Someone else said that online today. Uh, I haven't read Moonshadow since the vertical reissue. So I mean, that's a good 20 years for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I honestly don't remember. I don't remember Moonshadow well enough, but I will take right. it. I will take your word for it. What I was going to say well, is what, it really, yeah. what the lecturing at least really reminds me of is children's books. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a storybook look to it that I think really helps, especially when it's the child telling the story. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. And I, 
love the 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 cognitive dissonance between that and i mean the first line i mean the first line is uh, am i shooting do you know what i mean like there there's a, mm-hmm. a determinedly adult yes uh tone to the main narrative mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but there's something about the look of it mm-hmm. that is more childlike and having the child even the child growing up as the narrator adds another element to that it's it's just it's lovely it's a really good first issue yeah, it really is. Listeners, and I doubt you're confused, and I'm sure most of you have picked it up, but if you haven't, go pick up Saga, the first issue. It is absolutely entirely worthwhile, even if you don't enjoy it. And remember when I think Smitty was asking us about whether or not um, the success of Profit sort of heralded an actual sci-fi comic book renaissance, and we were like, nah. This is actually one step closer to making me think something like that yeah i I don't think um profit will but i think this might yeah i think this is way way closer to me being like oh you know it's interesting we didn't it's so fun everyone i think there's somebody somewhere who very smartly is going to encapsulate everything about the strengths and failings of our podcast in that we spent um 15 minutes talking about the death of Davy Jones and no time spent talking about the death of Jean Giraud slash Mobius. Um, <laughs> and That's so, it's true. It's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Uh, do you want me to make matters worse? I don't think I've ever read a Mobius book. You know, I, I will, I will, uh, I will, I will meet that ante. I've I have never read a book by him either. I have the Inco on my shelves. I've delved into it four pages, five pages. Thought it was fantastic. Got distracted. Put it down. Uh, I read his Silver Surfer stuff. Um, I, at this point, I really think that it's worth pointing out for people who haven't uh, to go to supervillain.wordpress.com. Uh, Sean Witzke. Oh, yeah, that's is... that's spectacular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, friend of the podcast, I thought that his piece about Mobius is 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 going to be as close as anyone's going to get to writing a definitive piece about Mobius's passing and why he matters. And it was a fantastic, phenomenal piece. So rather than try and bumble my way through something about why I know that Mobius is important despite having been not so eh into him... I recommend everyone supervillainwordpress.com even if you think that Mobius's death wasn't something that necessarily touched you or affected you or influenced you if you read Sean's piece you'll see why that's incorrect True. yeah yeah and I, and it was a tremendous piece so um and then we've got our resident expert to talk about you know Davy and the monkeys. So I think, you know, we've got it all covered. We've got oh, it all covered. <laughs> no, nah, man, it is what it is. I just, I just don't, I, that's the other thing is, is I don't, you know, for better or for worse, I think the amount of time, I don't, I think there haven't been a lot of times in this podcast where we've tried to fake it. And I think that's also kind of important, you know? To to me, the the fact that you confess to have not, both of us have confessed to not having read a ton of Mobius or even successfully completed a book by him, I think as much as that damns us as Philistines is so incredibly essential um, to the tenor of our podcast. 
And there's nothing worse than saying something like the tenor of our podcast, I have to say. Really exactly. Cool. Now that we've Whoa. plumbed that depth. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, anything else that you should mention in our, we? well, it's 4.58. We could go another five minutes, maybe? No, let's. No, no, I think we should finish because I have stuff I want. I want to find out names from you, first of all. Of course, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, well, this is good. We what, actually... We pretty much did, like, two-hour-long episodes for once. Yeah, we actually did. So let's. So, see, so let's what see we're doing, we listeners, have you said this before, that we're going to try and split episodes up again and see how, how see everyone, how including us, feels? Yes, exactly. Exactly. I have not said that. Listeners, we're going to do that if you... Feel strongly one way or another, please drop us a, either an email at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com or pop over to the Savage Critic uh, and throw a comment in the comments letting us know. Because a lot of people, when I went to the longer side of things, there were a ton of people who immediately were like, do it, do it, do it, do it. And then the people who wanted the shorter podcast took two weeks <laughs> telling me. And by that point, it was too late. So. We'll see how long we're doing this for. I'm committed to at least a month, uh, particularly if Graham and I continue to make it work, uh, maybe even longer. Um, but let's let's also hear from you. So, hooray! <laughs> this is the part where we go, bye! 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 bye. <laughs> You're so much better at that. I'm really going to have to, like, get one of those little... Um, what are the things that you blow on to check your pitch? Oh, I don't think the little whistle things. Yes, exactly. All right, anyway. Yes, see you next week, listeners. (laughs) (laughs) And we are out.